0: My life before Christ was not as strange for my children, but pretty close to that. I'd been married num- numerous times, three wonderful children. Professionally, I was pretty successful, but away from my profession, um, my life had just gone into shambles. I was angry all the time. Unhappiness, despair, uncertainty constant turmoil I kept thinking I could work through it myself I can get through this I was having a conversation at work one night when a co-worker listened to uh, one of my stories about the previous few days and she made the comment to me rebutting a statement that I'd said, and the statement back from her to me was, I don't think God turned His back on you. I think you turn your back on God. It was that night it finally hit home that it was me uh, and not God. The following Wednesday after that uh, statement that night, uh, I came to church here with her on Wednesday night and uh, talking to her and coming to church a few weeks and then uh, I got with uh, Kimmelette and started a Bible study. March 23rd, 2005, I was baptized and when I came up out of the water there was this calming trust that feeling that just overwhelmed me. I, I can't explain it. God has changed my life. He He didn't give up. And I want people to know that, that it's, it's not too late. You can be as deep as you think that you can stand and that there's no way that I can get out of this. And you not only can get out of it with the Lord in your heart, but it's almost like a responsibility that... Um, you're allowed to tell people about how much He can change your life. If people would have known me, if people can see this, that knew me ten years ago, five years ago, and see how much I've changed. And it's not just talk. It's the difference in the way I act and react. It's not what I say, but the way I treat people, the way I Uh, interact with people during the day Um, they can see the difference
1: we're continuing uh, our study discovering your new identity in Jesus Christ I appreciate those who work in Power Kids and uh A lot of churches do that, have uh, age-specific programming for children during the preaching time, and my friend Mike Cope uh, on his blog told a true story that happened about three months ago where his sister-in-law attends church. They had dismissed the children to their special time during the sermon, and the preacher was preaching away, and about halfway through a sermon, a side door in the auditorium opened and a three-year-old boy came out screaming, they're after me, they're after me. And he recognized the little boy and said, who's after you, Ryan? And he said, they want my Play-Doh. They want my Play-Doh. And he pointed to a door on the other side of the uh, auditorium and said, run, Ryan, run. Don't let anybody get your Play-Doh. And he took off screaming across the auditorium through the other door as an exasperated teacher came in on the other side. And Mike says the moral of the story is don't let anybody get your Play-Doh. But I think there could be another moral. I think every week, churches are full of people in danger of having something very precious taken from them. Their identity. And one of the reasons that we come together every week is to remember who we are. We remember, like we talked about last Sunday, that we are sons and daughters of God. That we're the slaves of Christ. That we are saints before the throne. There really is a transfer into a new identity. Paul talks about it in Ephesians two nineteen. He says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You used to be a foreigner and an alien to God. But you received a new citizenship. And here's the interesting thing. Whereas once you were a foreigner and an alien to God, now you're a foreigner and an alien for God. That we are all the proud members of an exiled community. And all the saints of God have understood this. In Hebrews chapter 11, you have that great story of all the different men and women of faith. And it says about all of them in verse 13. That these people were still living by faith when they died. And they didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. We are an alien nation. And we must not let anyone take that away from us. It's one of the reasons we gather every week. We insist ...on viewing ourselves as citizens of another kingdom. See, even though we live here, we don't truly belong here. Followers of Jesus are a displaced people. And so repeatedly, the New Testament encourages us to cultivate the mindset of exiles... Now, no book in the New Testament does this more than 1 Peter. And we're going to spend some time there today. But notice how he starts the letter in the very first verse. He says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia. Now, notice they're living as foreigners foreigners in the lands they've lived in all their lives. He's writing to people, many of whom have not traveled 50 miles from where they were born in their entire lives. They still speak the same language. They still wear the same clothes. They still go to the same jobs. They still eat the same foods. But now he says, you are foreigners in the place where you've lived all your life. You are now resident Aliens. The New International Version starts the letter this way. To God's elect strangers in the world. Now, what is the one thing in common with all strangers? They are strange. That's why they're strangers. And to follow Christ is to be willing to embrace strangeness. Peter talks about this a little later in chapter 4. This is what makes us strange, he says. In the past, you wasted too much time doing what non-believers enjoy. And before you got your new identity, some of you relate very well to the rest of this verse. You were guilty of sexual sins, evil desires, drunkenness, wild and drunken parties and hateful idol worship. Non-believers think it is strange that you do not do the many wild and wasteful things they do. So they insult you. We know what that sounds like. What's the matter with you? You too good for us? You used to hang with us. Now you think we shouldn't be doing this anymore? They can't understand why we suddenly got weird. On them that's why I I have never bought into all these strategies of evangelicals to promote a political agenda called the moral majority the problem with moral majority strategies is that the majority has never been that moral the call of the New Testament is not to join the crowd it is to swim upstream in a downstream world It's a call to embrace the values of another kingdom at the very likely risk of appearing to be strange. I am pleading today that we recover the oddness of the church. The church has become tame. The church has become domesticated. And frankly, except for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, you can't recognize the church from the culture. But Jesus doesn't want a tame church. He wants a strange church. He wants us to stand out from the natives of the land, just like he did. We cannot let the world take away our identity. But this is not going to be easy. There's incredible pressure from the world to be like it. And he addresses two of those pressures in chapter 2 and I want you to look at it with me. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, He says, living as an alien and a stranger is going to invite two very powerful pressures on you the war against your soul and the temptation to diminish the glory of God. Let's look at them each individually. First, He says, there's going to be the pressure to conform ourselves, and we must resist this pressure to fit in and conform. Uh, Years ago, musicians noticed in a certain part of London, all the errand boys were whistling out of tune. And what would cause that? And finally, someone noticed that the bells of Westminster Abbey were out of tune. And so they were simply whistling in sync with the melody of the culture, not realizing that the melody was wrong. And that's what happens to us. We start singing the music of the culture, realizing the culture is out of sync with the harmony of God. Because Satan knows us. Ever since we were little, there was this tremendous desire to fit in and not be the strange one. And so every day, he's quick to whisper in your ear. Nobody wants to look like an alien. And so we go to the store to buy clothes and frankly some of them are too provocative but they're in style and after all no one wants to be an alien. And we make our entertainment choices because everyone at work is talking about that movie even though it's kind of racy but no one wants to be an alien. And we can't afford that new car but everyone's driving it. And ours is an old clunker and it embarrasses us. And so we go into more debt. Because nobody wants to be an alien. And I really shouldn't have laughed at that joke, all the guys told around the water cooler. It was crude. But everybody else laughed. Nobody wants to be an alien. A couple weeks ago I had a conversation with a friend that works for a Christian college and don't try to guess which one because you'll be wrong but he said we have a huge problem here of underage drinking kids growing up in churches coming from Christian families getting off to college and getting plastered every weekend now there's a problem there on several levels on one level it's illegal you're breaking the law. On another level, you're lying. Because your mama and daddy didn't spend fifteen to $20,000 for you to go do that, and so you're lying. But here's the biggest problem. In a moment of testing, you didn't have the courage to be an alien. And so you won the applause of your friends. And you lost the war. Against your soul. And what happens to your soul if you keep losing that war? Just ask Lot. Abraham and Lot were brought by God to be foreigners and aliens in the land of promise. But the Bible says first that Lot saw Sodom. And then it says he chose the land around Sodom. And then it says he settled near Sodom. And then we read that he's living in a house inside Sodom and is a leading citizen sitting at the gates. And he won the applause of Sodom. But he lost the war against his soul. And in the process, he lost his family. Now, you take Abraham, to whom the promise is given. This land will be your land and your descendants. And yet the entire time he lived in that land, he never built a house. He lived in a tent the whole time to remind himself that he is a pilgrim. And everywhere he pitched his tent, he built an altar to remind himself not to sell out to the natives. The Bible says in James 1:27, pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our fathers means we must refuse to let the world corrupt us. Do not let yourself get nationalized by the natives. You must retain your alien status. And so every day you're going to be faced with choices, and you've got to consult the wisdom of your home country. Don't consult the wisdom of the natives. Get out your Bible, listen to the Holy Spirit, and ask yourself before you make the decision, is this going to be good or bad for my soul? How are we going to ever be able to point beyond this world if we are so desperate to fit into it? But please understand, adopting an alien mindset ...doesn't mean escaping the world. He says live good lives among the pagans. Because we make two mistakes. One is we give in to the pressure to conform ourselves. But the second is the pressure to confine ourselves. And so we say the pressure of the world is so great... ...so let's go build a Christian club... ...and let's hide behind our walls... ...and only hang out with each other... ...and that way we won't get infected by the world. Listen... Jesus' strategy for avoiding infection was never isolation. He doesn't want a bunch of quarantined Christians. He wants resident aliens. Listen to his prayer in John 17. He asked God, not that you take them, talking about his disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. He wants us to live apart from the world but not aloof from the world. Why should we not do that? Because you see, if we quarantine ourselves from the world, we diminish the experience of the glory of God that the world could ever have. Peter says you live good lives among the pagans so that even though they insult you, they must finally give in and glorify God. Didn't Jesus say the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't go hiding your light under a bushel let it shine in the world so that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your father Jesus called us out of the world so that he could send us back into the world to save people from the world it's an incarnational strategy what else would you expect it's what he did He came into the world to save us from the world. And now he's going to reach all the nations of the world through resident aliens. You see, the only way the world is going to know that it's broken and that it needs redeeming is if it strikes up hard against an alternative. You know, that's why today, for example, over a hundred of our members took over a hundred inner city kids to camp. Because they're going to show those kids next week there is an alternative world. There is a different kingdom. There are new values. There can be a different future. The only way you know there's a better world is if you strike up against it. But if the church looks so much like the world that the world doesn't see an alternative, they'll never turn to Christ. And that's why Jesus doesn't need a tame church. He needs A strange church. He wants a church whose external actions cause the world to ask us about our internal hope. That's why Peter says later, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Well, can I tell you something? Nobody is ever going to walk up to you and say, Please give me an answer for the hope that you have. What they are going to do is come up to you and say, I don't get it, man. You're kind of weird. You're not like most of us, but you got it together. Your life is working, your marriage is working, and you got some joy I'm missing. Where'd it come from? Our call is to swim upstream in a downstream world. And it's hard and it's exhausting. And if you're not careful... You'll get nationalized. You'll start singing out of tune. And So Peter gives us some really good advice that we want to close with in chapter 4. I want you to look at it with me. He says, the end of all things is near. In other words, don't invest in this world. It does not have a future. This world's going to be over pretty soon. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear minded and self controlled so that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Three things you do to persist as an alien nation. Number one, by kingdom petitions. He says, The end is near, so be clear minded and self control so you can pray. Prayer is the mother language of aliens. Jesus said, I want you to pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're moving through the world as resident aliens. And wherever we see values out of sync with the values of our kingdom, we pray for the kingdom we belong to to come and invade the kingdom we reside in. We see Racism. And we see injustice. And we see oppressive poverty. And the list goes on and on. And these things are not the values of the kingdom we belong to. So we pray against them. And we pray for God's reign to come. Prayer is our way of saying we deny that things have to stay the way they are. Prayer is our way of saying that our king reigns over all kings. And the kings will ask you to bow down. Peter says, you bow to God and you won't bow to them. Aliens pray. Kingdom petitions, number two, kingdom connections. He said, you love one another deeply and you show hospitality to each other. Some versions say, you open up your homes to one another. You know, when you see bands of pilgrims in different parts of the world... Why do you never see a pilgrim traveling by himself? It's too easy to get ambushed. Pilgrims always travel together. It's safer. We're supposed to be strangers to the world. We're not supposed to be strangers to the other. Peter says, open up your homes and love on each other. It's one of the reasons we are so committed here to small groups. It's one of the reasons why next week, walk across the room, over 136 Groups that we know of of adults are going to get together in homes. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how well intentioned you are. If you're trying to do the alien thing by yourself, you're not going to make it. Can't just get in your car, drive up to a church, never speak to anybody, sit in a pew, drive home. You're not going to make it. You're going to lose your citizenship if you don't pursue fellowship. Kingdom petitions, kingdom connections. One more thing, kingdom ambitions. You're not here to make a living, you're here to make a difference. And so Peter says, God gave every one of you a gift so that you could administer the grace of God. This is the mission of the church, to broker grace between God and a broken world. And so God gave you a gift to serve people. And as you move through your world as an alien, you're going to see ways where you can give people a taste of the grace of God. And by the way, that's how we silence our cynics. They think we're weird and they think we're strange. But they can't deny servant lives. Hudson Taylor, well-known pioneer missionary to China. When the communists took over, they commissioned a man to write a book to distort his life and discredit his name. As he did his research... He became so impacted by the quality of his life, he put down his pen, he renounced atheism, and he embraced Christ. This is the way of aliens. We're always talking to God, we're always loving on each other, we're always serving people. Worship, community, service. It's not just how you grow followers of Jesus, it's how you stay followers of Jesus. And if you aren't pursuing those three things but calling yourself a Christian, well that would just be strange. Every week we get together and remember who we are. And so in 1987, Henry Dempsey, pilot for a small computer airlines, took off from Portland, Maine, on a quick trip to Boston, Massachusetts. As they got airborne, he heard a strange knocking noise at the back of the plane. He turned the controls over to his co-pilot and walked down the aisle past the passengers to see if he could discover the source of this noise. The little plane hit an air pocket and did a quick dip, and it flew him back against the back door, and he quickly discovered the source of the noise. That door had not been closed properly. It flew open. He was instantly sucked out of the plane. The red light came on, the co-pilot knew exactly what had happened. He quickly called, requested permission for an emergency landing called the Coast Guard to send a helicopter out over the part of the ocean they were flying over to look for Henry's body. But they never found his body in the ocean. For a good reason. I have no idea how Henry Dempsey did this. As he was sucked out of that plane, beneath it was a small ladder and somehow he managed to grab it and hold on. Flying 4,000 feet in the air at 200 miles an hour. He held on to that ladder all the way until that plane landed and somehow even managed to keep his head from hitting the runway when it did. My favorite part of the story, when the emergency personnel on the scene arrived, it took them over three minutes to pry his fingers off (laughs) the ladder. (laughs) The journey we are on is hard. But do not let them take your identity. You hold on until you get home. Let's pray. And I'm asking now, Father, that you would give us not just increased passion, but increased capacity to live out our calling and our identity. Help us, God, to not run from oddness, but to embrace it. To accept strangeness as part of what it means to follow a man who had a cross on his back. To realize that being different from the world is our witness. And we cannot let them take it from us. And so give us, God, the courage... To be who we are. Because we think it will not only honor Jesus. It would help a lot more people. Find him. And so for his sake we ask it. Amen. We're going to sing a song now about our home. About the end of our journey. And as we sing. I want to invite you, if you need prayers, to be a better pilgrim, to go to our chapel, meet with our leaders right there at the cross. If you're ready today to confess Christ and be baptized and join us on the journey, please come down to the front. We're going to stand up now and sing.